We're in business to save the planet, and we use making clothes to do that. The cure for depression is action. Every one of us has to step up and do what you can according to what your resources are. That was the voice of Patagonia's Yvonne Chouinard. And this is Type 2, a podcast from Looking Sideways in association with Patagonia that explores the intersection between the outdoors, action sports and activism. In each show, I've been meeting people who are using their passion and involvement with the cultures we all love to create change. We've been discussing the issues they're involved in, the change they're seeking to create, the difficulties involved and the rewards that follow. My guest for this episode of Type 2 is professional snowboarder and activist Marie-Francois, who I've been meaning to get on here for quite a number of years now and who I chatted to during my recent trip to Jackson Hole for the first leg of the Natural Selection Tour. Marie's that rare thing, somebody who's using their platform to try and instigate change on both the micro and macro level. As a snowboarder, she's used projects such as her movie The Little Things to try and connect all of her interests in one cohesive creative whole. As an activist, her work covers many areas, whether it's her involvement with Protect Our Winters, her frontline involvement with the Fairy Creek Blockade, or personal projects such as her ambition to develop a working kelp farm as a regenerative project and a way of providing tangible societal and economic solutions to the problems we face. This one is a really lovely, nuanced and open chat with one of the warmest and most loved personalities in snowboarding. We were also joined halfway through the conversation by Marie's close friend, Spencer O'Brien, who contributed some questions of her own. Hope you enjoy this one. So describe where we are. I mean, this is quite a quite a location when you said that there was igloos i was like I, I honestly thought you were joking but we're literally in an igloo well i don't know it's a i think a geodesic dome really yeah made out of plastic and tubing but it's pretty neat yeah it's working just right in jackson yeah we've been i've done most of these in our hotel room this is much much nicer much better we'll see the sky the sunset yeah and maybe the stars. Yeah, it's hopefully. It's probably not going to be that long. <laughs> so how are you? I'm good. Yeah? I'm good. I uh, I feel like I survived. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a battle, wasn't it? It was. I think it was for everybody. Um, but I definitely took a, a pretty uh, spectacular beating. Yeah. did you? I think you said it was the worst tomahawk of your life, right? When, the best. The best. <laughs> Yeah, the best. Get it right. Get it right. At first, I was saying the worst, and I switched it to the best. Yeah, yeah, because I was on commentary when that happened, and I was like, "Oh, I kind of well, you know, like Spencer got a little bit hurt, didn't she?" But yeah, I think we were just all really glad that everybody was kind of all right, really. Yeah, for sure. It was. Uh, yeah, it was definitely not the conditions we wanted. Um, but I'm just uh, mind blown by what people did out there it's 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 incredible isn't it like what people were actually able to do in those conditions what 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 impressed you the most it impressed me um everything impressed me like of course like putting this event together like so many moving pieces yeah uh, like so much respect for travis for like making this possible yeah <clears throat> and everybody that worked on this even the writers who came and worked on the course and 
I don't know. It just shows how much people have love for Travis and believe in his ideas. And, and um, yeah, it was really an honor to be here. And, and like seeing it firsthand is like really impressive, the, the scale of it. And um, <clears throat> even though we didn't get the best, no, I'm just really impressed with the way people rode on there. Yeah. Did you, did you think, because I think what I was most surprised at was like, after the first few runs, I was like, ah, oh, it's going to be interesting to see where the level is this year compared to last year. But then everyone got it quite dialed quite quickly and the standard just kept getting higher and higher and higher like as it went on, which was amazing to see really. Yeah, it's amazing what um, can come out when you're, when you're under pressure like that. <laughs> yeah. I think like most of us were all talking like we would never film in these conditions yeah. you know you would never throw yourself down something like that but <clears throat> yeah it's like the time and place and i guess just gotta send it yeah so and so you, you're gonna go to bc and you go to alaska so no. are you not gonna go no i didn't make top ah, half of course it's bottom half wasn't it ah okay that's so. fine it's i mean like I like, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm really grateful for this. I wanted to be here. Yeah. And um, of course, if I made top half, I would be going to bald face in Alaska and, and embrace that entirely. But I'm also very aware of where I prefer to be. And it's not really in the contest uh, competition world. Yeah. So that's for me, it's like. I'm very happy and I'm so glad I got to do it. Yeah. And that I'm okay even after what happened. And, and like now I'm going back to filming and I will be cheering for everybody. And I'll be going to Alaska anyways. Yeah. That's all right. Sweet. Nice. <laughs> so how, because it's not something that you do compete in this kind of manner, like how does it feel when you get the invite? Like are you, are you kind of like, is it is it like a kind of double-edged sword you know you're a bit like okay like i'm going to do it because it's 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 a great thing to do but obviously it's not something that you normally do so how do how do you kind of cope with that yeah it's you get the invite and like even last year i got the invite and i i unfortunately had to turn it down because i had prior commitments but um you get the invite and you feel like you can't say no like you know like i and, and even last year watching it not being in there, I was kind of like, oh, I wish I was in there, even though it's not really my type of riding and yeah. where I, what I thrive for. So <clears throat> yeah, like the, the pressure of competing and the stress, that's something that really, you know, some people get really hyped on that. And for me, it's, it's just so, it's such an inner battle. Really? Really? <laughs> yes. Well, it's always been, I used to compete, right? Sure. I've done, I've done X Games, US Opens, yeah. and and to be fair, I, I never did bad, but I never did that great. You know, I would always be top five, but I don't have a single X Games medal, not a single US Open medal. Right. Like, I'm just like, I've won a couple things here and there, but I don't know. I was actually talking to my dad today, and he was like, he doesn't really know what I'm up to. And he's like, what were you doing? And I'm like, oh, I went to this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. That's so good. Are you good? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's he's all right. Like, yeah. Where are you? I'm like, I'm in Wyoming. I just went to this event and it was kind of a pretty big deal in the world of snowboarding. And I'm, I'm like, I kind of did pretty bad, and but I'm fine. I ate so much shit, but I'm fine. That's what matters. And he's like, oh, cool. And he's, <laughs> he's like, well, you're kind of like me. I used to compete like he was a black belt karate oh wow i knew this but i didn't know he competed and he was like you know i was so good i could beat anyone but as soon as it was my go time and contest 
I would always blow it. And right. I'm like, what? You never told me this. Right. <laughs> but um, no, I'm really happy. And I'm just happy I got to do it. Yeah. At so, least once, you know? So, and it was, is that how it's always been for you then that when you've been competing? Like, you, like you've kind of not always enjoyed it. Do you like with what your dad's saying well, about like... It's not like I didn't enjoy it. Right. It, I enjoy it. I love how competition really brings you to push yourself. Yeah. To limits that you maybe sometimes didn't even think you could. And I loved meeting other people. We love snowboarding and especially women. Because where I started, like, you know, there wasn't even a women category. Yeah. A lot of the times. So that's really cool. So I, I liked that aspect of it. But my, I think... It's changed so much, like the level of writing from when I competed. Sure. My style was more like I was really trying to push myself and do harder tricks, spin different directions. Yeah. And at the time, of course, if you fall on one thing, like like the safer conservative writing was getting rewarded. And that's what was frustrating for me. But at the same time, I just wasn't consistent enough to pull off what I wanted to do. Yeah. So consistency has definitely never been my strength. And that's why filming became my, my place really, because well, for many factors, like there's not, not the same amount of stress. You're really out there in the backcountry. You're not in like a setup course. Everything's different. Every feature is unique and the preparation too. like, for me, like for anybody to go into these features without even, getting to know the speed or not even getting to look at a takeoff it's yeah it's, insane it's wild well that's why i think arthur arthur's <clears throat> transfer is the most impressive thing of the weekend of the week really because to hit that without well to hit that on site and just you know improvise that is is incredible isn't it because i mean literally like first run like, like he did that and then must have spotted the landing in the air and must have just been like, oh, I'm going to go there. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, would I would like to know how he lined that up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like what, how he saw it. Because no one else really saw anything like that on the course, did they really? You know, everyone, there was like, there was obviously improvisational, mm. um, original lines, but that I think that was definitely the most original thing I saw on the course, really. Definitely. Yeah, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, so when, when you, I heard a conversation recently it's interesting that you talk about filming and, and competitions because it is such a different approach, isn't it, to how you snowboard? I, th I think it might have been Hannah I was listening to a thing with, and she she kind of compared filming to like making a um, making a film, like a feature film, like a movie, mm -hmm. and competing to like a Broadway show. You know, almost like it's it's about rehearsal, 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 and then you have like one night to get it right, kind of thing. Whereas with filming it's obviously a much deeper kind of longer term approach where you're taking in much more time there's more people involved but you can be almost more considered about the way that you approach it it sounds like that's the, the approach that you prefer maybe when it comes to like how you express yourself through snowboarding yeah and i i mean to be fair it's from my own weaknesses right that Owen, i'm Owen's here with the bears coming in come on in and you got a, you got a duvet <laughs> thank you so much they give you that at the front end i think it's kind of all right now actually isn't it it's getting nicer yeah and keep getting warmer yeah so you that's the approach the more considered 
approach that you prefer? Because obviously you've made your own films, <laughs> you've filmed with crews, you've done all the different aspects of it. So mm -hmm. is it is it that more considered creativity that you prefer when it comes to that style of snowboarding? Yeah, I think creativity is a big part. Um, also, the a bit less hecticness, right? Yeah. Events are so much, like, it's so awesome to see everyone. There's so much socializing and it's a beautiful thing, but it's a lot of energy at once. Yeah. You know, where filming is like a more of a long-term process and you still, w you have to work together and there's definitely less competition in that sense. You know, like, I, I'm like so uncomfortable nowadays with, the competition like i was getting all these messages like oh you got this nobody got like shit on you and i'm like i love everybody everybody's got <laughs> shit on me like, you know? so it's like an such a different mindset yeah and when i started filming too was really often just with the guys so i never felt this sense of competition it was almost like support and um like just do you yeah because you'll like i just felt like i'll never be as good as those guys right <laughs> like you know uh which is not necessarily true but it's just different and i think i i'm just a, not yeah i'm just attracted by that a bit more yeah and and you've obviously like you say filmed with with groups but then you've also done your own projects um, yeah and with women now yeah like in exactly. the last few years which is so rad because we went from being in a world where we're kind of pushed against each other, fighting for, for the one spot in a film, the yeah. one spot on a team. And then we just realized at one point, like, well, we got enough skills and, and like, we're good enough to just do this together and screw it. Why are we even competing against each other instead of collaborating? Yeah, because it was always a thing, wasn't it? Like, oh, there's only, like, with that traditional approach, like backcountry filming in snowboarding, it was always that, like, it's a man's world, really, like, coming up and then okay, we might have like one woman that can come along and, and film with us. And it's almost like that was the status quo of the industry, wasn't it? Did you find it quite hard to push against that? Like to find the support to, to create your own projects with just working with all women? You know, it's it's funny because society has been like this for so long Yeah, that you just... For me, I can only speak for myself. Like you, almost you just have to feel grateful for your spot. Your spot when you get one thing, like oh, just be grateful. Yeah. Because you know, so many others don't have that. And if you fight for your spot and if you openly do that, then you're just seen as the angry feminist. Yeah, sure. You know. That's kind of what I mean. Yeah, because it's almost like, well, here's a scrap from the table, and you should be grateful for that. You know. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's not. I always find this really fascinating when you compare like the paths that men have through an industry and the paths that a woman has through the industry because I think what a lot of men don't see is the number of invisible barriers that, that women face and that, that men, because it's so invisible to men, they just don't see it at all. It's just like, you know, if a, if a, if a white man who's good at snowboarding, for example, who's, who's got the skills and the connection and the network to succeed, it's actually quite a straightforward process, right? You know, like it's quite a path that's mapped out but for somebody of your generation as a woman like trying to follow that same path it's a lot different right like the way that you have to approach it yeah and it's 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 subconsciously like we accept it and it's so crazy looking back as like it's changed so much even the last 10 years the situations i've been in and so many of my friends have been in like i've, I've been like showing up to contests where they've been put on by 
sponsors of mine and been told I can't compete because I'm a girl. Really? And meanwhile, there's amateurs that are 12 years old hitting the jump. Which is crazy. And, but because I'm a girl and I'm yeah. on their team, no girls in this contest. And isn't that insane? Well, yeah, and it, but again, it's just <laughs> one of those accepted things, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. that everybody, yeah, and it takes somebody to stick the hand up and go like, mm, actually, why is that the case? To yeah. change it, really. Fully. I remember um, I left for another brand and then the person came back at me and they're like, what's going on with that you didn't tell me and i was like well remember when i went to this contest and you <laughs> didn't let me compete because i'm a girl this is this is why i'm leaving right and he's like oh fair enough <laughs> didn't realize exactly you know? that's, that's what i'm that's what i'm saying though like it's d- d- just not on the radar mm-hmm. just like wouldn't even consider that that would be a problem really. yeah in similar scenario with um a friend of mine was filming a ski movie and I was asking um, Tatum, Tatum, Manad, yep. was skiing in it. Great skier. Um, love her. And I was like, oh, how's Tatum's part? I can't wait to see it. And he was like, well, she's not getting a part. She doesn't have enough footage. And I'm like, what do you mean not enough footage? Well, he's like, there's not enough for a full part. And I'm like, well, who cares? Just put whatever she has, you know? And I was like, do you know how much it means to just get one shot? in a men's movie for our career and for the opportunities even if it's just one shot how hard it is for us to get and he was like i never thought of that and they put her freaking riding in the movie but it's like they just don't think about it i don't think it's like genuinely like trying to screw us over no i don't think so either i don't mm -hmm. think it's a conscious thing i don't think it's i don't think it's like it's just almost um it's gatekeeping but in a way that is is quite subtle you know, mm-hmm. it's not like somebody looking at going like, right, we don't want that person in the film. But that that kind of convention that you're talking about where it's like, well, to be in this film, it needs to be like this. Mm-hmm. And this criteria hasn't been met. So that person's out the film, but they're not thinking about like probably the struggle to get budget, like the struggle to get support from the sponsors yeah. to be in that position, which again is a lot harder for women than men, you know, to do that. So those little invisible decisions can just have this huge impact not only on an individual's career though right but also on the way that the up-and-comers yeah and it just it self-perpetuates it doesn't it it just reinforces it because then you know a young kid coming up is just not seeing any women in that position right and Mm -hmm. is just thinking and again it comes back to that thing like for for a man it's just like oh yeah i could be that guy i could be that guy like i could do that because that's what you see the whole time right exactly so it, yeah it's it's changed a lot though i'm so i'm so grateful to see that and like even just here you know just travis like you know sticking to the point of having women in this even though like a lot of people like yeah i know the the level is not the same and it was you know the first day after x games and seeing how much that gap has been bridged over the last few years like yeah. women are riding so strong and coming to into this in these conditions, I was like, oh, this is so tough for women snowboarding because I know we can do so much better. But I think there's been, to be honest, a, like, you know, maybe not the most support for up-and-comer women in the backcountry in the last decade. And maybe this is the, you know, if we, an event like this will bring more support and you will see, like, the level, like, improve well, tremendously. I think, I think this is how it happens, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When you give you know like you say the up-and-comers that are coming through the chance and the platform 
this is what's going to make it change, isn't it? And uh, well, not even change, but drive the progression. Essentially. Exactly. Yeah. So when you made the little things as as like a you know like a big project that you obviously worked extremely hard on and it was like an expression of your view of snowboarding and creativity and the life you know the life that you want to portray how difficult was it to get support for that from the industry was it was it something that you found straightforward or did you have to kind of take a different path it was difficult it was difficult because it was a time where you know uh, the environmental talk was a little bit I don't know. It was not like the most welcome at times, you know? Well, it's quite ahead of its time, wasn't it? To discuss those issues. Exactly. Like I had support, uh, pretty good support from, from some of my brands and some of them were not interested at all. And so I ended up even using like full salaries from some of that, those brands to, to fund it. And then we did a Kickstarter and like, it, and it was so hard, right? Like, but it was such a good motivation because I knew, like, I was like, in order for people to pay attention to this, I'm going to need to ride as much as possible, like yeah. as good as possible. And um, I was really proud of that segment. That's probably my, one of my favorite segment ever. Yeah. Because I, I was at a point where like the motivation was not just about me proving myself of anything. It was about a bigger message. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm... I mean, it was a pretty small scale project, but I'm, I'm really glad we made that happen and opened so many do doors for me, like in directions I never thought were possible in snowboarding and it opened the conversation. And, um, yeah, I think to me, I was like, okay, this is it. After this, I'm getting fired by everybody, but it's okay. <laughs> Why did you think that? <laughs> Cause at the time, like people don't want to talk about these things that much. Some do, Yeah. but you know, like snowboarding was still a lot about performance and, and I think it's changed so much in the last few years. There's so much room for uh, bringing up issues and, and like, you know, including more people, diversity, like like justice. I think it's, snowboarding's grown up a lot yeah. in the last bit and I love to see it. Have you always had that in mind when you've thought about how you could use your position? That you, that snowboarding, yeah, is, is like one thing, but obviously because... Everything you do is quite considered. There's always like a message to what you want to communicate. Like, have you always had that that longer goal in mind with your snowboarding? Not at first, because I didn't think they could coexist. Right. Because you, you weren't seeing too much of that. But then um, I think it was a, a lack of it for me that was like, like after a while I was like, I can't be, I don't care to continue to snowboard for a living if that's, if it's just about me, yeah. if it's just about my riding and this, there's so many things I care about. There's so many uh, issues that need to be addressed or things to be celebrated. And it ne there needs to be deeper meaning for me and I think for others too. And that's why we did the film. And, and now it's cool because I, I'm aligned with partners and brands that have very similar values yeah. and like sharing these stories and, they inspire me to be better and I've learned so much through them too, like Patagonia and Arbor too. So I can't believe I'm still doing this and then I find purpose and that's bigger than just snowboarding itself. Yeah. You know? So is that what you meant when you said doors opened when, when, when you did the project? Like that it, you realized that actually maybe this is possible. Maybe I could 
yes the, the two could coexist definitely and it's like i did i did lose a bunch of sponsors but then new ones were created new partnerships and new relationships and uh, i don't know it's just a beautiful thing and, and it, this is like a confirmation that whatever you believe in or whatever you're passionate about if if you pursue it it will open doors in those directions no matter what you're doing so it's it's more important to follow your heart and even if you take the risk to lose it all we we worried that that might be an outcome when you were when you were going down this path did you think like ah you know i know you made a joke earlier when you said oh everyone's gonna drop me now but like was that a serious concern uh it was like i was okay with it I was like, you know what? I'll just go, I'll get a job and I'll, I'll just go work in what I studied. And I had a great time in snowboarding. I had like, I reached levels I never thought I would. And I met so many amazing people. And um, yeah, I just took the leap. You know, like people don't like it, then screw it. I tried at least, Yeah. you know? So what are you working on now? What's the next kind of, because obviously you're very uh, kind of, involved with a couple of causes that you're that you're working on right now and you know you're obviously super passionate about like a lot of specific environmental and ecological um stories and ideas like so have you got a way of again combining the two yes i try i always try and um there's always stories and ongoing things i guess my between like protect our winters and my involvement with that which has been really good i've learned so much through that and it's ongoing and it's great to be part of. Um, I'm still trying to run the triple plank. We're bringing it back this year, which is like the snow skate surf event that we do on Vancouver Island. And we raise money for watershed and stream restoration. And it's just a really good way for us to activate in our community. Yeah. And like, I'd really like fun, um, it is a contest, but it's like, look at me, I hate competing and I throw a, a contest. Kind of a different contest, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, low consequence and, yeah. and low low pressure. But um, I love that because it has to be fun, right? It's like so many of these issues are heavy. And even myself, I easily sometimes get depressed within it. And so it's important to play and... And, and important to bring all the the moving pieces together, like the sport, the people, the community, the land. I really try to keep those connected with what I do when I can. And then um, the other project I've been working on over the last few years, I, I've been trying to start a, a seaweed farm. Yeah. Like, I'm working y on a kelp farm. Alex and Hillary mentioned that actually. <laughs> Yeah, very random. Like a like a kelp, like a, so it's like a regenerative project, right? Would you would you say like is that? I would say like it. It's once you have the farm going, like you, it's just you don't have to really do anything. It right. grows itself from the nutrients. How on earth do you start doing that? Like, what's the process? <laughs> like, what do you need to do? Oh, uh, it's a long process, and I applied for it, and I'm, I had to reapply and change location, but um, and I know nothing about this. It's so funny. I'm. So you, need, so you need to find us so well okay let's step back a little bit like why before you why? Even get into like the the, the the mechanics like why well what turned me on to this is because of the kind of work we've done and like um to move away from salmon farms it's yeah. a big issue uh at home in bc and everywhere and a lot of places in the world 
Scotland is a big one, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's hard for people. It's hard for these indigenous communities too that depend on the income and and um, like I mentioned in the fabric episode, it's one thing to fight against something, but you have to bring solutions. Yeah. And then uh, I found out about I saw something about seaweed and the potential for as an industry and for so many benefits of it as a product and i looked more into it and i'm like well i live in the best place in the world for this kind of avenue and i was like i love to be on the ocean i love to be outside why don't i explore that and i just on a whim <laughs> i just started applying for it and um i have no idea what i'm doing wow that's amazing <laughs> though so what do you have to do find a find a location obviously Yes, I took a workshop with yeah. the seaweed guru and kelp guru of the area. Wow. Louis Droll. And um, I did that. And then I I, I read a bunch about it, uh, watched a lot of videos, and um, made some connections. And yeah, I'm still learning as I go, for sure. But I just I just like to challenge myself with like variety, random things. Like snowboarding, I love. Yeah. But I can't just can't just do that a full time yeah. anymore like no i need like different things because i think life is short and there's i feel like there's not enough time for me to explore all the things i want to do yeah but that's an interesting point that you make about like how it's a solution to because obviously like with with environmental and ecological issues like it's quite easy just to 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 say what's wrong with practices that we that, that are embedded in our lives and that a lot of people rely on for income and and that communities are based around and it's quite it's quite a privileged position sometimes for um for people mm -hmm. who mean well mm -hmm. and who and who obviously have the right have a good intention but there's always a there's always a consequence if you tell people to stop doing something right so yeah. and you have to like you say that's kind of the importance of things projects like this isn't it because then you're actually kind of help i mean that's kind of the future of, of the movement really isn't it like how you can find that middle ground between you know stopping practices for obvious reasons but also support communities that rely on those practices for their way of life right for sure and i think you know the the problems we're seeing today environmentally and like socially i think they they were just you know we were lacking foresight and I think that going forward, we just need to have more foresight and think about all, all the parts of it, like not just the bottom line profit. We have to think about the people, the land. You have to think about long term and like infinite growth is not a model that's sustainable. And that's why we're facing all these problems today. It's actually really, really simple. <laughs> but how do we change it? It's going to take a while. So what kind of, um, how could this project that you're thinking of fulfill that role like it, it, it will provide presumably a kind of new econ like form of economy like is that the idea well yeah obviously even if i'm successful in this it's going to be a really really small piece of yeah, the massive of course <laughs> system and world but sometimes that's all you can do right yeah and exactly and that's fine and it's valuable and it still might inspire other people to do bigger pieces. Yeah, exactly. And um, I can go after things that I'm not good at or I'm not interested in because I will be unhappy and that's not how you change the world, I think. And um, yeah, my goal is to 
basically like you know once again include something i'm passionate about it's kind of like along the term like the things i've studied in ecology like bringing habitat back and like in involving the local indigenous communities like providing em employment and like you know make a product that's good for us good for the planet that's more sustainable there i just think there's just so much benefit and potential with it and even if it's really small scale i think that i think it's just interesting well it sounds value and it sounds like to you these projects are um have a have a double purpose you know like i know you've talked a lot about the house that you built um and it's been covered a lot but i think that's another good example of that isn't it you know it's like kind of two things it's like you taking on a really interesting project basically that you could learn about and kind of put into practice a lot of ideas that you've kind of are interested in and have had but also clearly people found that very inspirational you know and and it's that that's almost enough isn't it on the individual level really yeah i don't know it's never enough it doesn't feel like ever enough but um i think it's you know in the world of activism it's all about putting in what you can like you can't build a whole wall by yourself but if you put your brick somebody else can put their brick on top and you have to start somewhere and some people can put more bricks than others and that's totally fine yeah i talked to lauren a lot about this obviously mm -hmm. mutual friend and she's quite often quite um is that spence Yes, Spencer! <laughs> we got a special guest here, Spencer O'Brien. Come on in. <laughs> Come on in. These igloos are pretty sweet. I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> like, we're in the igloo. Like, oh. <laughs> Hi. How you Hi. doing? Is this okay? Yeah, yes. of course. Yes. Do a bear. Yeah. <laughs> Come we've got on in. We've got a blanket and a bear. Yeah. Here you go. Do you want to sit here? Or, oh, oh. Okay. or whatever you want. Let me move this. Yeah, we found the spot. There we go. Let me move all this. Oh. I could see you like creeping across the snow. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't want to be uh, too loud, you know. I was like, that's got to be Spencer. I'm swishy in my powderwares now. Swish, 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 swish. Was it fun? Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Yay. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Way more fun than the uh, uh, the Zoom. I know, I know the Zoom thing. Oh yeah. Let's not talk about the Zoom thing. I'm over the Zoom thing. Yeah, <laughs> I sent you a mic, didn't I? Mm -hmm. oh. Which um, which goes to show. I mean, it's pre-COVID, wasn't it? So that's what I used to do. I was so um, you know, like Zoom. I'm not doing them over Zoom. So if I did, I used to send people microphones just to try and get a better bit of audio. But yeah. No, this is this is better for sure. Yeah, um, way better. Yeah, like I, I talked to Lauren a lot about that. She's quite strong on how you can't. You know, you do need the individuals can only do so much, but you need the bigger scale for for actual change to take place. It's more societal, and she can be quite forceful about that viewpoint, <laughs> as you might imagine. You know. Um, <laughs> But then I think, you know, with the work that you're doing with like Protect Our Winners and, and the kind of bigger scale things, you've kind of got both both areas sort of covered really, right? Like individual activism, but then also the sort of broader scale things that can lead to like the biggest societal change. Yeah, you attack from every corner possible. Individually and like 
at the bigger scale with policy with like groups organizations i think I think it's all beneficial and it, it's, you know, whatever you can bring in. And, and, and another thing is, like I'm talking about the brick, bringing your own brick. And some people just have no bricks, you know, because we, some people are just in survival mode and we're the ones who are so privileged and we have this platform. We have, we are like, you know, in the terms of all the whole world, we're rich, we're wealthy, yeah. we have and that comes with responsibility and we we benefit so much from the outdoors and nature and a lot of people just are not in a position to do anything about it yeah. so i think that's why we have to really be be aware of our privilege and it's a responsibility like it's the least we can do is to give back and even if it's a little bit not like as a aggro like task yeah. but just like do what you can with what you're comfortable with and you're also quite involved with the Fairy Creek campaign, right? Yeah, Spencer and I went there together. <laughs> that was so amazing. Spencer yeah. is my uh, best guess at Fairy Creek. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen someone that was so little scared of cops and so down for anything. So can you can you explain? I mean, Spencer, do you want to do you yeah. want to explain what it is? Yeah. Um, oh, I have. Special um, guest didn't didn't expect that, did you? No, I didn't expect that, but <laughs> happy to be here. Um, yeah, no, Fairy Creek is a blockade that was started, I guess, a year and a half ago now. Is that what we're at now? Um, in uh, protest of the logging of Vancouver Island's last intact uh, old growth watershed. So it's this really beautiful special part of vancouver island you kind of fly above vancouver island and there's just cut blocks everywhere and then right. there's fairy creek and you know there's only 2.7 percent left uh, of old growth um in british columbia so a group of people decided that they were gonna do what they could to stop it um and it's become the largest um, act of civil disobedience in canadian history with over i think over 1200 arrests wow um me and marie were almost two of them <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i i you know i was speaking out about it on on social media and you know following marie on her trips and she kept inviting me and i kept making excuses for why i couldn't go or really it was more of a comfort thing i just i, I was like i don't know if i won't like i just didn't feel comfortable going i guess and was kind of honestly lazy um and then she asked me for the third time and i was finally like okay i can't really feel good about myself speaking out about this and yeah. asking people to take action if I'm not willing to do it myself. Sure. Um, so yeah, we went on down there and it ended up being probably one of the gnarliest times to be at Fairy Creek. It's like when the cops really dove in and just started ripping it apart, headquarters got taken down and, uh, right. um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild ride. It was very, uh, kind of scary at times, super emotional, um, but really life changing, really eye opening to, um, what those people are doing out there and uh yeah i just think it, it it made me realize anyways how my actions can have bigger effects sure so marie why was it important for you to show up there um well similar reasons as as spencer like initially i kept i've had seen it a while before on social media that this started happening and at first i didn't know much about it and it kept popping up um but really at the ground level, right? Like I hadn't heard about this 
besides this small group starting to activate. And I mean, I live on Vancouver Island. Yeah. I live in Euclid and there's a, a lot of logging going on there all over, all over BC, really. And uh, what really did it for me, actually, is when I saw Jonathan Moore, a picture of him, which people who don't know Jonathan Moore is a legendary snowboarder and a friend of mine. We used to be on Rome together yeah, way back then. Absolute legend. And I imagine he's still fucking rips right <laughs> oh he's he's a ribbing surfer now too 20, i hear i mean 20 years ago he was like one of the best free riders in the world wasn't he so definitely yeah so yeah i like i saw a picture of jonathan like <laughs> like just posted up on the mass that he had counter levered with a car that was and he was hanging over a river like without a harness or anything like with just a little umbrella in the pissing rain like absolute hero wow it's i just have so much respect for this man and anyone who was there some people were there for a year straight yeah. in the worst conditions and like getting like harassed by police and it's just it's a life-changing experience to be there and like there's a lot of judgment from the outside like even I would invite people and they're like, well, isn't it like just a bunch of hippies or, right. oh, I don't like, um, I don't like protests, makes me uncom uncomfortable. And I was like, yeah, how, how uncomfortable is it going to be when there's no old growth left? Like, yeah. you know, it's the same with the Black Matter, Black Lives Matter movement. Like, it's uncomfortable. But do you know how uncomfortable it is for these people? Yeah. Like to live this, like we have to show up and, you know, it's easy to to say that oh it's only hippies there but like if it's only hippies there and if you wish it was different then show up yeah be the be the people you want to see there so yeah i just started going i went and uh i went through a lot of different experiences there and it was one of the most powerful um yeah moments of my life for sure is it true i mean just as an outsider is it true that there's quite often an an area of conflict around this in Canada, like kind of these, because th there's other quite famous protest sites, right? Where people have been there for a long time. It's quite linked to indigenous communities, like and the government mm -hmm. cracked down like really, really hard on it as a way of almost like weaponizing the idea of direct action. You know, is that, mm -hmm. is, is that fair to say? Cause it seems like from the outside, there's, there's quite often these kind of flashpoints that, um, that basically are at the sharp end of the conflict between like, well, how are we going to use our resources? Like, and how do we all yeah. accommodate and, and exist in this space? And it does seem like it's often quite a harsh response to that. What? It's very complex. It's very complex, even like, I, I can't even speak on behalf of the indigenous communities, and but even within indigenous communities, there's a lot of different opinions. Right. And um, even like, you know, a lot of per perception is that it's anti-logging and I don't know, for me personally and a lot of people there, this was not about attacking the logging industry. It's about, if anything, making sure that there is a future for the logging industry that is sustainable for the people, for the workers, and so that the resource can last and we can still, you know, use lumber and have logging in Canada, but to do it in a manner that we have once again foresight and yeah exactly <laughs> it comes back to what we were talking about before yeah. doesn't it and it's not just profit driven basically exactly we've yeah. taken too much too quick yeah it's very simple and like if we don't address it now then in five years or whatever 10 years maybe less 
you will be out of a job. Yeah. And the point here is to make sure you have a job. Yeah. But it was, of course, people are going to take it personal. Of course, there's a lot of different energies, different opinions. And um, yeah, it's very complex. But to be there, I learned so much. And I think uh, a lot of other people who came learned so much. And to be in the old growth forest yourself is just magical. And actually, there is a really good um, episode of Originate, yep. uh, Michelle Parker's project that yep. is coming out Okay. about Fairy Creek. Right. Uh, I spent a week with them there and they did an incredible job. Like Real Water, Brian Smith was filming it and Mason, Michonne came out and uh, the biker Casey Brown and we spent a lot of time tree sitting in the trees and doing different kind of actions. And it was, yeah, I think they did a good job for the outside viewer to understand what it's about. Yeah, because you're talking about kind of a long-term approach ultimately with how we deal with all these issues, right? You know, rather than just... Yeah, and again, that's kind of weaponized, isn't it? And it's a, it's a way of attacking like the movement, the environmental movement, to kind of say like, well, you know, you but your your heating bills are going to go up, or like you know whatever it is, like whatever the argument is, like if we don't have the the status quo that we've always had, your life quality will change. Therefore, you shouldn't be interested in this. Like it's a kind of quite a common argument, isn't it? Oh yeah, there's so many arguments, and I mean the the less we do now, the less comfort we're gonna have later. So yeah, it's just it's it's in our best interest to do the most we can now yeah and yes it's not going to be perfect um but at this point it's like we have to do something we yeah. can't you can't keep ignoring it and we're going to make, make mistakes as we go and you can't change it overnight like to be perfect but we have so much work to do yeah. and we can we can be so much better that's yeah. what i mean like if we just didn't build a system thinking about these consequences so i think we can fix it and it's not going to be perfect but we have so much potential to be better yeah one of the things when i interviewed you for curator magazine um a couple of years ago we talked about staying positive in the face of you know the experience that you've had at fairy creek and just generally the experiences that, that if you're going to you know, as a snowboarder who's kind of trying to talk about these things, obviously you make yourself a little bit of a target, like for criticism, like, and you you talked about how how it could be quite difficult sometimes to stay positive in the face of that. Is, is that something that you still kind of feel? Definitely, I feel like the more you pay attention, the more depressing it gets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think honestly that's why a lot of people prefer not to. To pay attention not and to even go there yeah ignorance is bliss and you can keep living your life and everything's awesome but i don't know what it is in me it's like i always like go to these places of like issues and um, i don't know i just feel like I, it gives me purpose but um what i wanted to say is that there was nothing that gave me more hope than being at fairy creek right because I've done a lot of different work with like POW and it's really empowering to be together and like even in my own life, but I've never seen that many people fired up and going distances I've never seen before, like digging all night, like sleeping in the rain, like it's like with complete strangers and like just the commitment to yeah. spend that, that much time there 
to fight for the trees, you know, and so much more than just the trees, but to fight for environmental, social justice, everything that right now needs to change in the world. And so many people from different backgrounds, different ages. I was just like, okay, we're not alone in this. So many people care yeah. and are willing to do something about it. Giving like single moms, giving up their jobs to be there and they're broke. And that's why when I came back home and people were like, oh, I hear they're all on the Serb and EI, these people. Right. I'm like, you have to go there before you say anything. Yeah. Then you, you talk to me after. Yeah. But <laughs> before again, you make any judgment. But again, that's just a way of diminishing it, isn't it? You yes. Know, which is kind of a, almost like a press led thing as well, isn't it? You know, to just basically say like, these people aren't worthy of your time. You know, the trouble causes. It's just a tactic, isn't it? Really. It is. Yeah. So we talked about earlier your desire to kind of combine snowboarding with, like, you know, the two the two narratives almost like what snowboarding is to you as an individual and what you get out of it, and this activism that we're talking about. And creativity, like all these threads that you've tried to combine. So do you have any ambitions for things you could do, like to combine all three, like any creative projects that you're work that you're thinking of working on or I mean you're obviously pretty busy um, with the kelp farm. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm getting at, because you've done this before. You've you have you've had projects where you've managed to do that. You know, you've managed to combine the message that you're trying to communicate with, with your snowboarding career. Like so it feels like it's quite a natural point for you to to sort of do that again almost or, or could to continue to do that with more fervor so do you have anything like a film you mean maybe like, like whatever it could, it's an open question really yeah. because creativity is so clearly Can an important part of what you what, what this is about for you mm -hmm. i think my outlet like i like the film and um but it's so much work like like <laughs> it was really uh, People ask me after little things like, are you going to make another one? It was so good. And it would be so fun to try to upscale that. And it would be so powerful. But it was so much work. And that that's not... I don't know if I wasn't ready to do that again. At least not with a small team. Yeah. Like I would need it on a bigger scale. And then, for example, fabric, you know, was a way for me to be involved. And I think Robin really tasted... <laughs> what it's like to create something of that scale and hers was a much bigger scale and it was so beautifully put together she included so many important stories yeah so i think that was really awesome to be a part of um personally i'm always thinking of different ideas um the triple planks a way for me to keep that conversation going but it's very local um but yeah i it crosses my mind sometimes to do a film again, but I'm I'm just not quite ready yet. Yeah, I don't know. There's I've had a lot of opportunities with like Patagonia, even just to tell these stories with different mediums, you know, through like their catalog or the blog. Even like there's been so much content that doesn't maybe get seen by the whole industry, but that's really meaningful and. So I want to continue, whatever I do, I want to just continue to have, like, be um, be a vehicle for these stories and yeah. important issues or for people who need a voice that don't necessarily have it. And, yeah, that's, and have fun at the same time to recharge and keep you going. And, yeah, that's kind of my goal ongoing. And you're filming this winter, though. What are you working on? Oh, yeah, this winter... Um, 
I mean, I'm working on a different, a few different projects and stories, but other than that, snowboarding wise, um, I'm gonna be in the backcountry out with my boyfriend Timmy, and we're just filming for fun and with our friends, whoever wants to join. We're, we decided we'd, we'd make this little series called Out for a Rip. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and our dog, our puppy's name Rip, so it's very fitting. <laughs> ah, nice. Um, all right, I'm going to ask you one more question because we're all absolutely freezing, clearly. All over, always like, ah. But I mean, it's a pretty magical spot. It's definitely it's the coldest I've ever been doing a co podcast, I think. I'm so sorry. No, it it was all. nicer when it was sunnier, but now it's like. <laughs> not as cold, cold as doing the announcing. Fucking oh. hell. That was the coldest I've been in a long time oh in the tent yeah that was when we were basically sitting outside really oh i didn't know that it looked heated no it wasn't heated <laughs> no. at one point i was like literally shaking and i was like surely this is coming across no. <laughs> yeah um but i gotta ask you about scotland obviously this is a british podcast <laughs> and if uh I'd, I'd be in a lot of trouble with the listeners if i didn't ask you about your experience in aviemore and um snowboarding in scotland um d didn't get ideal conditions by the looks of it <laughs> well you got kind of scottish conditions let's put it that way so how was that that was one of the best of my life it was so cool to be up there um i had never been there and um meeting lauren of course like our first night i think it was one of our first night we were there in aviemore in the pub in chevy's yeah that's it that's so funny <laughs> that's like proper british institution that place yes and this girl comes up to me. She's like, are you Marie? <laughs> like, like, yeah. She's like, what the frick are you doing here? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> and I don't know. And then we were like, basically a couple hours later, we asked her to not go to work and just come with us for the next two weeks. <laughs> Be our guide. <laughs> and she did. And she showed us around. We met so many amazing characters. And yeah, the snow, everybody was like, this is so bad. The worst season in 30 years. But I was still blown away by the train there. And yeah, no, it, could, it can be good. Like it's yeah. for sure. Like two days a year, but it can be good. Two days a year. <laughs> no way. That was really, really yeah, it's, cool. It's, I, I love it. I keep going on about it on this podcast. Like for me, like the, the trip I've been most looking forward to to doing is to go back to scotland really you know obviously this has been pretty rad <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the course was almost like scotland yeah the course was <laughs> yeah it kind of was yeah yeah speak to travis stop, stop four at cairngorm mountain yes <laughs> um yeah no it's a great it's a great trip and um you should go spence back, you should go backcountry spence Oh, yeah. How about you ask the last question for Marie? Mm. Oh shoot! You really put me on the spot here. Free reign. <laughs> um. What's a bothy? <laughs> like a like a refuge, like a backcountry hut kind of thing. Oh. What? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go. I'm in. We can go to my homeland, Ireland, while we're at it. I've never been there. I've never been there either. Well, let's do it. Uh, we can go serving there too, right? Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Done. Um, okay, la question for you. Um, what, um, 
where do you find the drive to to keep riding year after year? You've been doing it for so long, and you're not, not like you're old. That's not what I mean. <laughs> you no, re- but I mean like you've you had really old. You, you've, but you've had such a long like a long story career, and you've had so many chapters of it. Like you were a contest rider, you were a rail rider, you're a backcountry rider, you're environmentalist. Like you, you've you kind of transformed yourself so many different times. Um, so just curious as to like where that drive to continue evolving through the sport comes from. Wow. You should, you should start a podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Seriously. There's not, there's not enough of them. <laughs> yeah, we need more podcasts. Yeah, we need more snowboarding podcasts. There's not that many. Oh, man. That's a great question. That is a good question. It's better what than any mine. What am I going to transform into myself next? I'm going to make a little cocoon. Which butterfly is going to come out? <laughs> I don't know. I I love snowboarding and I think the variety is what's kept me going for so long cuz you are able to reinvent yourself, you know? I don't think I could have been a rail rider this whole time. <laughs> no. As much as I love and admire it. But um I think I'm really happy where I'm at and if I can keep snowboarding and being out there and and find meaning and connect people together and inspire people to be out there and be their best self and go after their dreams that's that's all that that I need that's what makes me happy and I hope I snowboard forever like even if I don't do it professionally I'm always going to want to be in the mountains maybe not full time but between the ocean and the mountains that's what we do happy with that (laughs) very lucky So there you go. That was me and Marie. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. That was definitely the coldest spot I've ever been while recording a podcast. But I hope the intimacy of the conversation shone through. You can find Marie over at Instagram and make sure you check out her project, The Little Things, to find out more about her beguiling and inspirational approach to life. Thanks for listening to this episode and for supporting Type 2 generally. I release new episodes of Type 2 every four to six weeks through my usual Looking Sideways channel, which you can subscribe to via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your other podcast purveyors. You can also find the entire Type 2 back catalogue and the entire archive of my main Looking Sideways podcast, which includes close to 200 interviews with some of the biggest names in action sports and other related endeavours over at my website, www we are looking sideways.com. All right. Nice one. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.